Good morning, church. Matthew 7, (laughs) it is a rich, rich book. I first thought I would do a scripture by scripture teaching through it, and I realized there's not enough time. So the Holy Spirit led me another way, and I'm hoping there's enough time. I am, uh, Matthew 7 is a continuation and the end of Christ's Sermon on the Mount, which begins in chapter 5. In chapter 5, it begins with Christ's Beatitudes, which speak of the beauty of godly living. Through these eight Beatitudes found in Matthew 5, verses 3 through 10, Jesus taught us of virtues and values in life that will result in blessings and rewards. It could be said that the Sermon on the Mount is the giving of the new Torah. Now, the Torah is also referred to as the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. There it's also which includes the giving of the law by God to man. And this new Torah is not really a new law, but a greater understanding of the original Torah. Jesus said he did not come to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill the law. He came to complete it. In the context of the original Torah, and for that fact, the entire Old Testament, it's what the Jews measured Jesus' words by. And so the Old Testament, the Torah should have an impact on how we understand what Jesus is saying now in the Sermon on the Mount. The law which was given in the Torah was never intended to save. It was intended to show us our need for the Savior. It also had another purpose, The original Torah taught God's people how to live in proximity to God at that time in the tabernacle. And so in the same way, the the new Torah, the Sermon on the Mount, teaches us how to live in proximity to God in one another. Because today, the Holy Spirit, God dwells in hearts, not in tents or temples. Well, I take that back. The Bible calls us all temples. And so he dwells in us. So if we are going to learn how to relate to God, we have to learn how to relate to one another. And that's a lot of what chapter 7 is about. Jesus said how we treat others is how we treat him. And you can find that in Matthew 25, verse 40, which I'm going to skip over for the moment. Now, the second rule of hermeneutics addresses context. The meaning of a word, phrase, sentence, or paragraph must be derived from the context. That doesn't just apply to the Bible. That applies to any book you're reading. When we get to verses... I'm sorry, excuse me. When we get to those verses that deal with prayer, see... In the first five verses of Matthew 7, Jesus is talking about not judging one another. 
And then he goes into prayer, how to pray. And then he goes and talks again about not judging one another. So what is that prayer stuck in the middle there for? Context, and we'll look at that when we get to it. Well, almost all of Matthew 7 deals with judging others righteously. We can see three points in this chapter that I believe the Holy Spirit is emphasizing. The first point is judging righteously. As we go through the chapter, we will find it doesn't say we should not judge. It says we should judge righteously. The second point is looking at the fruit of that or those we are judging. Don't just consider actions. Consider their character. Consider the fruit that they put in their lives. You can't just make a diagnosis based on one symptom. (coughs) Excuse me. And the third point is making good judgments built on rock and not on sand. So let's start with the first point, judging righteously, starting in verse 1. Judge not that you not be judged. The word judge in the Greek is krino, and it means to separate, to put asunder, to pick out, to select or choose. And what's the objective of judging? It should be to compare facts or ideas, perceive their agreement or disagreement, and thus to distinguish truth from falsehood. And we do this by bringing the issue to reasoning, to the reasoning or deliberations of the mind. Excuse me. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15, we read, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer the rich. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. Not what they can do for you or can't do for you, but what is God's judgment in that situation. That's what we're looking for. Verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you measure, it will be measured. Lord, please don't judge me the way I've judged some others. The generosity you give to others is repaid with the generosity God give to you. Tithing is not a law in the New Testament or in the New Covenant, but generosity for the work of God results in God's generosity to you in this world and in the age to come. Luke gives us more insight into this by more completely quoting what Jesus said. Found in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Continuing in verse 3 of Matthew 7, why do we see the speck in our brother's, I'm sorry, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that's in your own? In the Greek, the word speck means a dry stalk, a twig, or a straw. 
And a log means a beam, a large piece of timber, long in proportion to its thickness and squared or hewed for use. Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly the speck in your brother's eye. I think it's a universal temptation to want to judge others more harshly or strictly than we judge ourselves. And I think the reason for that so many, too many times is that we push ourselves up. We make ourselves feel better about ourselves, our, pro our problems, by putting others down. And you will never see once that Jesus did that. Not once. In John chapter 8, we read the, the story of a woman caught in adultery and brought before Jesus. And they asked Jesus to judge her. Jesus, Jesus stooped down in the sand, scribbled something, we don't know what, and said, let he that is without sin cast the first stone. This was a righteous judgment. She was caught. There was no question about her guilt. But Jesus said, let you who are without sin cast the first stone. And he looked down I think, I picture it in my mind, and waited. And one by one, they trickled away. And finally, there's only Jesus and the woman there. And he says, where are your accusers? They were gone. He said, I accuse you neither, but go and sin no more. I am positive there's not one of us, including me in this room, that could cast the first stone. And like Jesus, we need to have each other's backs. And we need to encourage those who have struggled and fallen and failed. Excuse me. Jesus doesn't tell us to ignore others' faults. He does not teach tolerance for sin. He does say that we should remove the beam from our eye before we try to remove the speck from others. I believe we do need to be discerning between specks and beams. But I'd like to ask a question. This woman who was caught in adultery, that was a pretty major sin. To me, that's a beam. But what about a lie? Is that any more of a speck than a beam or, or than, a, than adultery? Oh, it was just a little white lie. Where in the Bible do you see where it talks about white, gray, or black lies? So often, we judge what a speck is unrighteously because of the logs 
in our own hearts, in our own eyes. Sometimes recognizing the beam in our eye is most challenging. So how do we get rid of the beam in our eye in order to judge others righteously? Well, that's where the context comes in, in verses 11 and 12. He's not talking about something different here. He's not pulling it out of nowhere and out of context. He's still talking about judging righteously. And he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened words. Ask, seek, knock. They imply distinct degrees of intensity of prayer. These verses therefore instruct us to seek God with earnestness and diligence and perseverance and assures us that it's not applied in vain. Jeremiah 29 verses 12 through 13 says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. And again in Proverbs 8, 17, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently shall find me. Are you struggling? Are you struggling with, with sin? Are you struggling with the beam or, or, or just being discerning? Ask God. Seek him diligently about the issue. He will hear you. And what does it say? We know that if he hears us, we have the results that we have prayed for. Now that, of course, is assuming we're praying in Jesus' name, which implies praying his will, correct? Then Jesus proceeds to go deeper in how to judge others by introducing what has come to be known as the golden rule. So whatever you wish, what others would do for you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The conjunction so relates, relates the golden rule to what Jesus was talking about previously, judging unrighteously. We are to judge others the way we would want to be judged. Micah 6 verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. In verse 13, he continues, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. For those who find it are few. Do you notice that the wide gate leads to destruction? It's the narrow gate that leads to life. Jesus came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. But you have to come by the narrow gate. And what is that gate? It's Jesus it's not just being saved, but surrendering to his lordship. Obeying what he said we should do. Not because we have to, but because we choose to. 
And when we choose to do things God's way, what does it say? It says we find life, abundant life. Do you treat others, your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, the way you want to be treated? Do you demonstrate the righteousness and compassion of Christ to them or the judgment of the world? What about your brothers and sisters sitting in this room? Or maybe those at work? We don't act towards others how they deserve. Rather, we act as we would want them to act towards us. Then beginning in verse 15, Jesus tells us that we should include the fruit of their life in our judging. Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus balances his opening statement about judge not with judge righteously. Judge righteously. It's not that any one person in this room can't commit any sin, but I'm just going to pick on my brother Warren here because I love him and because I know that this will never happen short of God, be short of Warren's turning away. Someone could come and say, I saw Warren at a bar the other day. Man, he's a drunkard. And I want to tell you something. I've known Warren for a long time, more than 30 years. I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't, but I've never known him to imbibe in alcohol. I'm not saying he doesn't, I'm just saying I've never known it. I know Warren's character. I know the fruit of his life. And for someone to suggest that to me, I'm not going to believe it. You're going to have to drag me to his house and see him vomiting in his toilet before I'm going to believe it. I'm going to have to see the bottles strewed around his house because I know his fruit, I know his character. And so when someone comes to us with an accusation against somebody, it's not just enough to look at the circumstance. Maybe he was in that bar witnessing to somebody. That's the only reason I can think he would go there. But you've got to look at the fruit, the character. Don't entertain don't entertain accusations against somebody until you really know who they are. And I'm not even saying you should entertain them then. I'm saying that when you know who they are, you can judge righteously. When you know the fruit, you can judge righteously. What does the fruit of your life point out? Yes, we all too often fail to accomplish God's will for us. But if we continue to ask, seek, and knock, we will find the narrow gate that leads to life.
In verse 24, he goes on, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it, was, it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And great was its fall. Are we judging foolishly or wisely? Do we judge on the rock? Or on the sand? Are we building our lives on the foundation of Christ or on the sand of carnal living? In other words, are we living for Christ? Living to please God? Or are we living to please ourselves? 1 Corinthians 13.7 says this, and I'll close with this. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all all things, endures all things. Building is an activity that requires effort. Is it enough not to judge somebody based on rumors or appearances? Oh, I'm sorry, is it enough not to judge somebody based on rumors or appearances? Or does God want us to come beside the wrongly accused, have their back, and actively stand against unrighteous judgments they are suspected of? You'll find that answer in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Please join me in prayer. Father, today it seems like there's been an emphasis about bending the knee, and actually that means to bend the heart to be humble before our God. To judge righteously and to be the balm of Gilead for those who are hurting, who have slipped, who have sinned, who have failed. Help us, O oh God. to not tolerate accusations against one another. Help us, O oh God, to come and stand besides those wrongly accused, and even more so, to come and encourage those who might be righteously accused. Father, may we always remember that there's no sin that anybody ever has or ever will commit that we're not capable of in our old nature. And help us to walk as new creatures with the mind of Christ, with the heart of your love. With the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. Father, we're asking, we're seeking, and we're knocking. And we know you will make it so. In Jesus' name, amen.